Jenny and Paul, appreciate that. So I think you'll remember what Paul had to say longer than you'll remember mine. But, <laughs> but it actually all fits together. Um, God makes all things new. And that was Paul's heart's desire for the people of Galatia to remember and to know. He'd gone with Barnabas to that area of the world on his first missionary journey and had taken the good news to them. Uh, to the Jewish people, he'd come and said, the Messiah has come. He has brought forgiveness of sins. And keeping the law is not how you get are made right with God, but it's by putting your trust and faith in Jesus, Messiah, who gave his life for you. It's simply a gift by grace through faith, through entrusting yourself to him. And yet when he heard back from that region later, he heard that though they'd been made new, like Anna's song says, and you know, Paul got cleaned up. They went back and started trying to do things by the law. They were told by some false teachers, some people who came in afterwards, well, Paul, Paul didn't quite know what he was talking about. You can have Jesus, but you need to be circumcised, men. And all of you need to start following at least this, these parts of the law. Then you can receive Jesus. Then you can be good with God. And Paul was brokenhearted at that, that they would, having been made new, go back to what they had been doing before when they had misunderstood the purpose of the law. And, and then, and of course, Gentiles had come in and, and, and had received Christ by, by faith, Right? And they were telling them, oh, no, well, you, you have to get circumcised first, be, kind of come in through the door of Judaism first, then you can believe in Jesus. And these false teachers were taking them down a different trail, different track. And Paul has spent a great deal of time up through where we're at here in, in Galatians chapter 5, making very clear that salvation is only by entrusting yourself to Jesus. It's a free gift that he gives when you entrust yourself to him. And that's the only way. And that the law had its own purpose, but this is not it. Circumcision had its own purpose. It has nothing to do with your salvation. As you said in the last section, circumcision or uncircumcision mean nothing, but only faith in Christ. And so it's so critical to understand those truths. There is no good deed, no pattern of keeping rules and laws that will do that for you. And Paul had a very heavy heart about that. That's why we've spent so much time, maybe sometime through this series you've been saying, yeah, that's what you told us last week. Because Paul keeps coming back to it again, over and over but now he's turning a little bit of a corner. He's turning his attention to the ones who caused the problem with the Galatians. The people who came in after him and said, oh, well, it's not just 
grace. It's not just trusting in Jesus, but it's circumcision. It's keeping the law. And so beginning in verse 7, he turns his direction to them. When he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. <clears throat> Paul's pretty serious here, isn't he? He's, he's speaking with some pretty strong words because what had gone on in turning people away from salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, has eternal ramifications. It's not just a matter of, oh, you've got this religion and you've got that religion. No. If you follow the truth, you will have eternal life. If you don't, you will have eternal death and eternal punishment. That's why Paul is, is upset like he is. And as he thinks back to the time he spent with them, he, he begins there in verse 7 by saying, you were running well. And oftentimes Paul likes to compare the Christian life to a race because we're, we're headed in a direction. We're moving. And he said, you started off living this life so well, and ministering to one another and, and loving one another. Uh, he observed the beginnings of the churches in Galatia, and he was encouraged. They'd started out gaining in their new lives of freedom and fellowship with Jesus. They'd, they'd rejoiced in the fact that, boy, we are free in Christ. We are free to do what is truly good and right. And they were trusting him every day and learning to live in the good things that, the, that had come with knowing Jesus, rather than the old patterns of sin that had dominated them. He said, you started running well. You got off the starting blocks. You were doing great. Then he says, but who cut in on you? Who cut in on you? Who hindered you? According to New American Standard says, who hindered you from obeying the truth. That's, that word hindered, though, literally means to cut into. And it seems to be another one of Paul's uh, play on words related to circumcision. Because in circumcision, you cut off a piece of skin, and, and he just keeps bringing back that cutting idea. It's like, you were running a race, and, and these people cut in on you. They're, they're all talking about circumcision. But they actually cut into your race. They cut you off from the good path that you were on. See, it's not just that false teachers want them to have a physical cutting done to them, but they're, they're cutting in on the progress that they had been making. Just like if somebody's running a race and all of a sudden somebody comes from the side and boom, herds them off down a whole different path. That's the word picture he's using here. Who, who did that to you? That's not what was happening when I... When I was there with you. That's not what was happening when I heard about you right after I left. And here he's also bringing the focus in on one person. Uh, when the word who there is singular. And so he, he's concerned that there is but one 
person in particular who's driving this false teaching. And so he's bringing their attention to this particular person and saying, he has caused you to lose in practice freedom that you have in Christ. He has caused you to head down a wrong pathway and to start doing things because you're under the law and you, and you have to do them in order to, to, to be right with God. Who has done this? As he continues on, he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? And that word uh, obeying has the word to obey because you have been persuaded. When Paul and Barnabas had come, they had been persuaded. The Holy Spirit had convinced them in their hearts that they should believe in Christ and walk with Him. And that convincing brought about in their lives actual doing what, what matched up with it. Brought loving one another like God had loved them. Their minds had been truly set in the right direction. But as these teachers came in, they came with very persuasive arguments, very well-thought-out schemes. And they, I'm sure they took them to the Old Testament scriptures and said, oh, well, look at how important circumcision was without giving them the context of why God gave it to them. And that's usually the, what happens. Leave out the context and just say, oh, this proves my point. Now you need to do what I said. So who stopped you from obeying Oh, no, not, not their schemes, but from obeying the truth. So he says, you're off track. What do you do when you're off track? Well, you better stop, turn around, and get back on the right track, right? You need to repent and say, what these people have been teaching us is wrong. We've got to turn around. We've got to head in the right direction with Jesus again. So he gives them a great visual of the fact what they need to do. Turn around. Go back. Head where you need to belong. And this is the same concern he had for them back in chapter 1, verse 6. When he said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. See, it wasn't just that they were deserting the right teaching, but they were in fact deserting God. Because God is the one who had called them. And he says, who is it that's done this? Who is it that said, follow me down a road that takes you away from God? Who is this man? Paul's warning them that this, what we consider cheating, right? You cut in on the race. You know, the race has already started and you try to join later on. You try to hinder, you try to get in the way, you try to block people off. He says, that's what these people who have come in are like. They're like people who cheat in a race, but not just so they can win, but so they can derail you. They want to get you off of the track for their benefit. They've stopped you from doing what you already knew was right, and you've allowed it. Paul says, this, this is why I'm concerned about you, because it's not as though there's, there's just this little problem. There are these little things that are being taught that aren't right. But as he continues on, having said, get myself back in the right chapter here, um, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. You might say, well, you know, if that person, you know, they think that they have to do a little bit in order to be right with God, well, it's not that big of a deal. Paul says, no, it's, it's an incredibly terrible thing because just like when you put the yeast or the sourdough into the bread dough, you, it gets worked in. And it doesn't take long until that whole lump of dough is totally full of the yeast, full of the leaven. And he says it's really important that that, that sin isn't allowed, that bad teaching isn't allowed to come in and be practiced and be affirmed and be taught because pretty soon the people around that person start to say, well, I think that's right. And the people around them start, oh, well, that, that's, that really looks like maybe what it ought to be. Well, that feels kind of like I used to do. I kind of like the fact that well, I used to, used to keep the law. That was really normal me, and if it's normal, it must be right, correct? No! No, Jesus came to make all things new. Right? So sometimes that's going to feel pretty uncomfortable. He says, so don't let the false teaching in, and let the leaven work its way through the whole body. Pretty soon you have an entire church that's off in its truth, off in its practice, off in what they're trusting in. They begin trusting in their own abilities instead of trusting in Christ himself. It's interesting, this is, this is a, a word picture that Jesus used as well. If you turn with me back to Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12, he warned about another group of Jews to his disciples who... who course, we're all Jewish as well. And he said, they're, they're leading you astray, even though they are people who are, are supposed to be giving you the truth, who are supposed to be respected. It says in Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Well, Jesus said to them, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You man of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves and the four thousand, how many large baskets you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, these, these teachers of the law who are all wrapped up in you, keeping the law according to their way and saying this is how you can be right with God. You have to keep all of these laws, not only the laws, but all these traditions we've added to them. He says that's Leaven, leaven, a picture uh, of sin. He says, watch out for it. It's contagious. It will spread. Because we have in our hearts that idea, I, well, I can be good enough. I can accomplish it. I can do it. So he said, watch out for that leaven. 
It's interesting when, when Jesus talks about it in Luke 12, 1, even more specifically defines the leaven he's talking about as hypocrisy. Because that's all you can have when you teach that you can be right with God through doing good things. Because you know deep down in your own heart you haven't been doing all the things that would be necessary. Because it's impossible. The thing about how it grows and spreads is that it could be it affects every single member of the body, just like yeast affects every little bit of a lump of dough. And so Paul just sat down and cried, right? No. No, there's still hope, right? In fact, if, if we get back to Galatians, you know, we can see that, that Paul actually knows these people, even though he didn't spend a whole lot of time with them. And he continues on in verse 10. He says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. See, he was there with them when they said, praise God, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be given new life in Christ. And he says, I am persuaded. He comes back and uses that same word that he talked about their sin. You know, you have you know, been, you know, you were persuaded before to obey. These people cut in on you, but that persuasion was not from God. Well, let me tell you about what I'm persuaded of. I'm persuaded that your faith was genuine. I'm persuaded that, in fact, you have been made new. I'm persuaded that God is faithful in working in you. He's persuaded from what he knows of them that they will see things the way he is teaching them. He believes that because they are truly saved, that they are in Christ, that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they will come around and be convinced, be persuaded, and follow the truth again as well. And wouldn't that be great to hear after all these chapters of saying, you know, you're getting the wrong message you're headed the wrong way. Don't be cut off from Christ. And he says, but I'm persuaded that you're going to come around and understand things correctly again. And you will begin to grow in Christ by the power of God. You will grow in Christ because the Spirit is working in you. You will grow in Christ because you've been persuaded of the truth. And that's where it's exciting the first half of verse 10. I'm persuaded. And he will make another visit to Galatia to find out for sure. He'll have his second missionary journey, and he'll be back to check things out and see what's going on. But then there's the other side of verse 10. So you will adopt no other view of the first half, but it says, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. And notice again, Paul's dialing it in. He's, he, he knows there's one particular person amongst these false teachers who's, who's really responsible for a lot of this false teaching that's going on. And what he says about him is, who is this one who is disturbing you, this one who is, who is causing problems in your life, this one who is cutting in on you as you were running so well, is going to bear his judgment. And this is where Paul is very, very serious 
because false teaching impacts people in a way that, that, impact, that has to do with their eternal destiny, that has to do with their relationship with the one they need, a close relationship, more than anything. And my guess is the person that he's singling out is probably very kind, very nice, very persuasive, but he's teaching falsehood. And Paul says he's going to receive his punishment. Turn with me to James chapter 3, written probably very similar time period to the book of Galatians. These are two of the, the first books of, of the New Testament that were written. And these are words that uh, James says related to teaching and how seriously we need to take it. It says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So James, notice, includes himself as a teacher. He says, before you step into that role, or if you find yourself already in that role, understand that there's a great responsibility when you teach others the truth of God's Word. Or you teach something and represent it as being from God's Word. It says there's a stricter, there's a stronger punishment when you teach others. Because you have, have that, those things that may turn them the wrong way may keep them from understanding the gospel that it's only by grace alone, through faith alone. In fact, Jesus' harshest words were for those who were teaching the wrong things, just like he talked about, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But then he has a, another section where he's, you know, he, he, he just rails over and over and over again against the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, he says, over and over. Those are words of condemnation. Those are words of judgment. People's des eternal destinies are at stake. So dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit and God's word is critical. Whenever we stand up and say, here's what God is saying. We don't want to put our words in God's mouth. We don't want to take away from what God has said. And certainly... None of us do it perfectly, do we? That's why we need that reliance on, on a being deeply in his word, being in prayer, being directed by the Holy Spirit as we do it. Because this is, these are his words, not our words. So he says, there's a stricter judgment, so take it seriously. And back in Galatians, at the end of 10, he says, this one is going to bear his judgment and Paul's making it pretty clear his judgment is go not going to be good. In fact, if we go back to Matthew 18, again to the words of Jesus, what he has to say about people who, who teach things that are not true. Matthew 18, verses 5 and 6. says, and whoever receives one such child, this is when he's, he's talking about humbling yourself as a child, in my name receives me. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Stop and think about what that would mean if one of your friends said that about you. Or one of your enemies, for that matter. You should just be, have, have, a, have a giant rock tied around your neck and be thrown into the ocean. Now, Jesus isn't saying that's what should happen, but he's, what he's saying is, if you mislead people in the truth, you'll wish you had that punishment instead of what you get. That's serious. And so as Paul considers this, particularly this one man in the Galatian region who's going around teaching wrong things, and he says he'll receive his punishment, he's not joking around. He's not talking about a slap on the wrist because God takes it very, very seriously. And it's not that God is only concerned with children either. Certainly children are more vulnerable because they're young. They're still figuring things out. They're still learning. But in a sense, God considers everyone children in a way. Don't, don't be leading people down a road that's not truth. And then as he continues on in verses 11 and 12, first of all, he addresses something that's being said that he says just isn't true. He says in verse 11, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. So he starts off by saying, I don't teach that people need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Apparently, this false teacher or the false teachers who were in this region must have been claiming somehow that Paul was still teaching like he had as a Pharisee before he was saved, before he knew Christ. And often deceivers like to add credibility to what they say by connecting themselves to someone who is respected, by connecting their words to somebody else and what it is that, that they've taught. And apparently they were saying, oh, well, Paul, Paul teaches circumcision before you get saved too. Or maybe you misunderstood what Paul was talking about. I've actually heard him say, you need to be circumcised. Paul says, if I do that, why is it that Jewish people persecute me? Why is it they come out of the synagogues when I've been teaching there? They drag me out of the, out of the synagogues and they throw me out of town. If he's teaching the same thing that they're teaching, if he's still teaching like a Pharisee, if he's still teaching, oh yes, you must obey the law, all of you, Jews, Gentiles alike, why, is, why are there things happening that have happened to him? Even in their own area, their own neighbors who are Jews, you can find this in Acts 13 and 14, he would teach to a point and then they would get jealous because he, people were following Paul. And the problem was, what they wanted was they wanted the praise of people. They wanted the following of people. Not that people would know the truth and be freed. Not that they would know the truth and be saved. And so they chased him out of town. In fact, it culminates uh, in, in Acts chapter 14, where 
they gather together and they stone Paul, thinking he's dead and leaving him laying outside of town. Why? Because he insists that salvation is only by entrusting yourself to Jesus. It's not by doing a bunch of good works. Paul says, that's the stumbling block. That's what especially the Jews just can't deal with. They're saying, no, no, I can do. I can accomplish this. I can be right with God through my own goodness. And, they, and Paul says, no, that's not the case. And they hated him because of it, just like Jesus had predicted. There was this stumbling block, this big chunk of rock in the pathway that you bang your shin on. That's what he's saying Jesus is to people who want to work for their salvation. Paul will write to the Romans about that in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33. Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 30 through 33. And he's not just giving his own words here, although inspired by the Holy Spirit, that would have been plenty, but he also quotes from the book of Isaiah. He says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Oh, that's the same kind of people Paul's talking to in Galatia, right? They're Gentiles. How did they get the declaration that they were righteous before God? Oh, by believing in Christ, right? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. They couldn't accomplish it. They couldn't do it, right? He says, what's, what's with this? He says, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as is written, behold, I lay in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Paul says, I could avoid the persecution. I could avoid the resistance. I could avoid the hatred if I just said, yeah, keep the law. That's how you'll be right with God. But he knew that God had said clear back through, through the mouth of Isaiah that Jesus was going to cause people to fall down because they couldn't stand the thought that they couldn't earn their own salvation. See, it's Jesus that causes people to stumble. Because he has to be everything. He has to have accomplished everything to make you right with God. And there's no other way. You can't combine it with some other system. And they can't get over the fact that Jesus has to do all of it. He says, has persecution been deactivated? Have people stopped hating because I preach grace? hasn't stopped, has it? So you understand that I have not been preaching circumcision. And then verse 12, he ends with this very strong statement. It's kind of shocking, especially uh, depending on your translation, it might be even more shocking. Where he says, these false teachers, the ones that are saying that I'm teaching circumcision, these ones who are cutting in on you, I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. 
what is Paul wishing on these false teachers? Um, your translation might say they might emasculate themselves. And many, many commentators say, you know, they're, they're asking you to cut off this little piece of skin. I wish they'd go the whole way and castrate themselves. And you're like, wow, that's some strong language. And it is strong language. Um, there, were, there were cults that worshipped idols where their priests did that. And so uh, many commentators say, well, what he's saying is, well, you may as well just be like those pagan priests and get into their practice, practices. But I don't think that fits the context. Paul is very upset, and the language he uses is very strong. But literally, that word at the end of verse 12, that they would even mutilate themselves, again, comes back to literally they would cut themselves off. And I think it goes back to some, some things that from the very beginning when circumcision first started, Paul is calling to their mind the truth that, or the, the practice that God gave to Abraham. So go with me back to, to Genesis chapter 14, or Genesis, Genesis 17, verse 14. And this is when God first gave to Abraham the sign of circumcision, that it showed that there was a, it was a covenant made between God and Abraham. But it wasn't just between God and Abraham, but between God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And so in the verses prior to verse 14, God tells him that those who belong to him should be circumcised and in verse 14 he says, But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So what God's saying is if, if someone who was a descendant of Abraham or had come to associate himself with Abraham's household refused to be circumcised, then he was not willing to identify with the covenant of God. And when they did that, they were choosing to sever their ties with the descendants of Abraham, and they should be put out of the family community. They should be cut off from the community that was benefiting from this amazing covenant that God had made with Abraham. Now Paul shows that, that insisting on circumcision the opposite of, of, of what was going on in Genesis, and therefore insisting on law-keeping for Gentiles to enter the family of God, they should receive the same consequence. He says, ironically, it's turned around the other way now. Before, if, you would, if a man would not be circumcised, he was to be cut off from the descendants of Abraham. Now, because they are asking people, or telling people to be circumcised for the wrong reason, which was never meant to be used for that, they should be cut off from the family of God. They should be separated in, from the fellowship with the family of God because they're teaching something that is entirely wrong. It demonstrates a disconnect from the core truth of believers in Jesus. And so Paul wishes that these people would separate themselves from the church. That's that play on words with circumcision continuing. 
A similar way that Paul talked about this idea was in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, that doesn't have, this doesn't have to do with circumcision, but sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 13, Paul has been dealing with a man who has been involved in a kind of, of sexual immorality even the Corinthians around him wouldn't have got engaged in. And the church has been saying, oh, well, we're so accepting, we'll just keep him here in our midst, and aren't we good? And Paul says, no, that's, that's not good. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 6, it says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Oh, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or swindlers, or with idolaters, for them, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Now pay close attention here. It says, but those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourself. In this case, the sin is sexual immorality. It's leaven that will spread within the church and corrupt the entire thing. In Galatians, what's corrupting the whole place is false teaching about how you're saved, teaching works instead of grace. Both are things that Paul says need to be cleaned out. Just like before Passover, Jewish people go throughout their whole house and they search for even the tiniest little bit of leaven so that there's no leaven left in the whole place so that then when they have their unleavened bread to celebrate it, it's certain to not be contaminated with a little bit of leaven. And Paul teaches the Galatians like he would later teach the Corinthians when there's that kind of sin that's going to spread throughout the whole body, there needs to be a removal. There needs to be Taking out. In this case, there was a man in immorality. They said he put him out of the church so God can judge him. In Galatians, when he says, I wish those who are teaching this would be cut off, I believe it means I wish they would take themselves outside the church and may even be giving maybe a little bit subtle hint to the church leaders you need to put these people out of the church. And it goes along with what God taught and actually in a more severe form in Deuteronomy chapter 13. So if you turn one more time with me, Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5, here related to the people of Israel. He says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. 
You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you away or seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall sounds familiar purge the evil from among you in the nation of Israel, God did that with the death penalty. In the church, Paul's not recommending the death penalty, for which I'm very thankful. Wouldn't want to have to carry that out. But he's saying when people come in and teach false things that lead people away from the way of life, they should be put out of the body for the sake of the body because God loves his children. He loves his flock. And I know we live in a time when people get tired, when others get all worked up over what they think is true, and we're, and we're so busy building barriers between us and people who don't think exactly like we do, and people all around us are attacking others who don't think like them. And often the tone that's used in those disagreements is unnecessarily harsh. And people get upset over things that are just not worth getting upset over. However, there is a time when for the sake of the eternal destiny and the healthy growth of those who are following Jesus, those who teach what is wrong have to be separated from those who may be deceived by them. They need to be cut off from the church, from the body. God cares for his children, cares for his flock, his church, and wants them to be protected. So there are times we may have to say, and say in a way that reflects the God that we love and who loves us and loves all people, sorry, but you need to stay out of this church. And I think that's what he's getting at in Galatians saying they're coming in and they're teaching you things that are sending people to hell. The, the cost is too high. They need to stay out. Because he loves us. Just like the shepherd keeps the wolf out of the, out of the, out of the, uh, where, the where the sheep are kept. Okay? Got to be taking care of the sheep that way. So we should be thankful that we have such a good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are so caring of us and, and you deal harshly with those who would lead others astray. So please do keep our hearts true to your word, that we would not teach things that are contrary to your word, that we would not uh, speak things that would uh, glorify us, but would only just glorify you and show your, your greatness. And Lord, please keep us especially on track to remember that Jesus is the way we come to know you. Jesus is the way we are forgiven of our sins. Jesus is the way that we come to life and being made new. And Father, I pray that you would continue to
to help us to grasp that and understand it more, more fully, and that you would help us understand our freedom in Christ and how uh, even how we grow in Him isn't by keeping laws, uh, but it's by walking by your Spirit, knowing your Word in the context of your body. Just look forward to, to how you will, uh, in, the, in the chapters or the remaining part of Galatians, help us to understand how to walk that, that life of freedom. I ask this in Jesus' name.